This is Daniel Fagell, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. If you've been listening for a long time here, you'll know that financial services is certainly an area of focus for our research work here at Emerge. For that reason, we're familiar with many of the players in the financial services AI ecosystem, the innovative startups, the leaders in the big banks around the United States and wealth management firms. And this week, we focus on the topic of compliance, an area where AI has rife opportunity from our recent AI and banking research one of the most clear trends was the overlap between the natural overlap between machine learning and compliance and fraud issues and this week we have on Mark Gazet who's the CEO of ThetaRay ThetaRay is a company that's raised a substantial amount of money to apply artificial intelligence to the compliance function Mark speaks with us about where AI finds that overlap and what are the real opportunity areas and I also kind of poke and prod Mark a little bit here about how to successfully deploy artificial intelligence and what some of the challenges are to getting that done. So if you're interested in reducing risk, a lot of these lessons will translate to other industries. I think you're going to enjoy this episode. In addition to that, Mark has been on our other podcast, which is called AI and Financial Services. If you like learning about banking, you like learning about wealth management, insurance, and how the world of money and the world of monetary risk is sort of getting shifted and turned on its head with artificial intelligence in, in addition to how COVID is changing AI priorities in financial services. And be sure to go on Apple Podcasts or go on SoundCloud or any of your favorite podcast platforms and search for the AI in Financial Services podcast. It's hosted by me. We've got guests from just the financial services industry. It's an excellent show for those of you interested in that particular industry. Without further ado, we're going to fly into this episode with Mark here on the AI in Business podcast. So, Mark, we'll start off by talking a little bit about the intersection of artificial intelligence and compliance. I know anti-money laundering is a bit of your world. There's certainly places where AI fits into the works there, and also unique considerations about this wild crisis we're going through as well. First and foremost, before we get into the timely stuff, do you mind kind of painting the picture for the audience here as to where you see AI's kind of value in the compliance picture in financial services? Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much. First of all, it's great to be here again. Glad to have you. Uh, thank you. And what, what's really happened is that the world of financial crime has definitely changed recently, uh, maybe the last four or five years, which uh, indeed affected the world of compliance. Uh, and we'll touch more about uh, the impact of the current situation, which actually makes things I'm going to mention, I'm going to say, even more extreme. But if you think about it, the world of financial crime has changed. Uh, today, nobody comes to a branch of a bank and threaten the clerks to shoot them up and just to steal some money. It still happens in Hollywood movies. Uh, today, <laughs> with COVID-19 situation, criminals should be crazy uh, to go physically to a bank, but they don't need to do it because everything is now digital. Everything is connected. And you can just establish a, and install a server somewhere in a remote country. The server will automatically uh, hack into people's accounts, uh, steal maybe 25 cents from a bank account, but do it hundreds of millions of times using their version of AI, uh, nobody will pay attention. And even when people pay attention, they usually do not complain because of 25 cents, but it sums up to maybe 10, 20 million dollars. And then these bad guys are not greedy, they disconnect the link, disappear with 20 million dollars. If you want to indict somebody in some remote country, good luck with that. Yep. And, and the only way to discover this type of attacks is actually using new level of artificial intelligence because existing systems compliance systems that were installed 10, 20 years ago, all based on rules, thresholds, signatures, 
models, some people call it supervised AI. Basically, you need to teach the system what you should be looking for. Uh, even neural networks, if you think about it, it's machine learning, it's not really AI. Uh, you can take a neural network, you show it one million pictures of a butterfly, it will identify all the butterflies in the world. But show it a scorpion or show it a snake and the system will miss it because nobody told the system how snakes looks like. Yeah. Now, if you take it to the world of compliance, and you know, compliance is not just about fraud, it's actually mainly about money laundering, which is today terrorist funding, human trafficking, sex slavery, and narco-trafficking, terrible stuff, terrible stuff. Banks cannot just afford themselves to miss those snakes. So what they do, they use what they call anomaly detection. Basically, show me everything that doesn't look normal. Show me everything that doesn't look like a butterfly, if I use this example of, uh, of uh, neural networks, and then they have a level of false alarms that is huge, 99.5%. For every true alert, there are 200 false alarms. And then you have a lot of manpower, you make your customers crazy, and you miss really important issues and events that can be a real threat uh, for the banks. That's why we see that compliance becomes stronger and stronger. We see banks losing billions of dollars, getting huge fines. And recently, we see a, an era where actually uh, CEOs of the banks and chief risk officers of the banks pay personal prices uh, being let go. And we can give you examples in the, later. For sure. Cool. So I, I appreciate the high-level kind of tee-up. And I think most of the audience will be familiar thematically with sort of the, the general value prop of artificial intelligence and compliance, not only as you had articulated, you know, the old rule-based systems, okay, hopefully we'll catch it most of the time. We know a couple rules here. We've structured a, a pachinko machine to detect, you know, if it ticks off these boxes, then we're going to flag it and investigate it. That's maybe old school. The newer school, you know, looking for those common patterns that we've seen before, you know, we have many, many instances of money laundering that we can flag, we can determine, you know, who sent it, how much was sent, what are all the commonalities, and we can pick up on those patterns. You know, this third level being anomaly detection. So what are the, what's breaking from the normal? And, and how should oh, that, how should that come to the attention of, of uh, security folks? Yeah, no, I've said it. You're absolutely right. And yep. those systems, uh, those systems are not effective anymore. So I think that what's really happening right now is sort of a new generation, as you said. And the new generation, we call it artificial, intu artificial intuition. Now, I believe that uh, our founders were one of the pioneers of this uh, movement. Professor Koifman got Golden Medal of Science by President Clinton for this work, 20 years on the advisory board of DARPA and Professor Aberbuch. And basically they said, look, human beings actually very good at identifying this type of events. When you take a very experienced investigator, investigator will tell, when we look at the transactions, they will say something like, look, it doesn't look right. You know, we, as human beings, it's, it's kind of really unnatural to us. Take a kid, send a kid to a new school, very fast your kid will know who are good guys or are bad guys. We don't need to go and do sort of LinkedIn, uh, open source intelligence analysis of the parents of the kids. We just get it. Yeah. Or when you drive a car and suddenly there is a noise, you know that something is wrong with your car. We don't need to think about it. Computers couldn't do it in the past, but that's a beautiful thing that it's happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Again, we call it artificial intuition. Some people call it computational intuition, which is basically the ability of the computer to look at the data and without prior understanding of what are we looking for to say, look, something is wrong here. By the way, it's also very good for opportunities. It's like very experienced real estate developers that just tell you, look, this place will become very successful. You don't know why. They don't know why, but it does. It happens. But this 
this discussion is about threats, of course, and about compliance. And that's basically what we do. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so this is the phase you're talking about. And, and I think, again, the value prop, you know, minus whatever buzzwords we want to use here. I know every vendor's got their own. Uh, and and you, you obviously have some pretty robust scientists behind the scenes that are kind of driving this stuff here and, and have raised enough funds to, to validate some of these hypotheses. The idea is that this would take us to uh, a level beyond or, or a, level, a level of kind of flagging instances that hopefully would have, you know, better ratios of false positives and false negatives so that it's not just kind of, you know, flicking the red flag up on everything because not everything looks normal, but maybe can have a more granular, better understanding of what what is potentially fraud, what is not. Now, I would imagine, you know, to your point of this sort of unsupervised system, still on a very regular basis, there must be efforts to ensure that we do flag the things that were in fact fraud and that we do sort of potentially correct the outputs of the system if it misses something or if it flags something that wasn't fraud. That feedback is is not, it's not like that isn't happening. Am I correct? I mean, certainly the, the intuition is built upon that ongoing feed. Maybe you could explain a bit about how that works. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, because everything is patented and uh, there are 220 scientific papers describing it, uh, let's use this opportunity to sort of disclose uh, most of our secret sauce. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to disclose secret sauce, but, you know, conceptually uh, explaining stuff for the yeah, audience, yeah, I think, yeah, would be course. helpful uh, because uh, there's no push button answers here, right? The audience isn't dumb. So we've got to kind of lay on them sort of how this stuff actually operates in terms of effort. So absolutely. And uh, actually, it's pretty cool. So we'll start with the results. We install the system in the largest banks in the world. And since you follow up for a while, you know and see the progression of the company. Yeah, yeah. I've seen you guys raise and funds the, recently, yeah. Yeah, but the fact that we raise funds is just one sort of symptom, but the fact that customers are using our system. That's uh, a bigger deal. That's a bigger deal. It's a bigger deal. And we have some statistics. So on average, we find between three to six times more issues than existing systems. We discover, when we do blind tests against existing systems, we discover things that other systems missed and there is a manual finding only. Uh, this approach not only identifies money laundering, but in many cases it does it 70 days on average before the actual attempt to withdraw money from a bank and the conduct the crime happens. Now, it's not a minority report uh, company, but the, <laughs> way it's done, but the way it's done, it's actually very natural. It's not a secret. The implementation, how to make it work, is difficult. So if you think about human beings, when we use what we call intuition or common sense or gut feelings, we basically instead of understanding the values uh, of the features, we analyze the relationships. Uh, let me give you an example. Yeah. For example, when you will recognize uh, me tomorrow, your brain will not say, okay, so Mark's eyes is 60% RGB, palette is 60% uh, blue and uh, 30% uh, green, etc. And uh, the distance between Mark's ears is, uh, is 15 inches and the size of the nose is 5 inches. That's not what your brain will do. Uh, you will just get the sort of proportions, the relationships. If I take it to the world of compliance, existing systems usually work in the following way. So if your salary is $100,000 a year and you have $100,000 uh, in your uh, banking account, um, you suddenly write a check of $1 million, it's an alert. By the way, much more sophisticated, of course. I'm if sure, you take, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you write like 1 million checks of $1, the system will catch it. Our system works in a totally different way. Uh, our system just take, takes all the parameters and connects the dots between those parameters and all the transactions. Let me give you an example. So you take the same bank, let's say they have 1 billion transactions and each transaction is 500 parameters. You know, parameters of features can be your first name, last name, amount of money. Did you use your uh, web browser or did you use point of sale, et cetera, et cetera. Amount of money. 
So imagine 500 features multiplied by 1 billion transactions, like 500 billion dots floating in the sky. And for those uh, listeners who are uh, data scientists and PhDs, I just will say that it's actually 1 billion dots in 500 dimensional sky, but it's the same. And then you connect all the dots. So you have like huge mesh of connections. And then you look at all the possible permutations of connections until you find connections that are suspicious. Very easy to explain, very difficult to implement. One of day, one day of trading, if you do it brute force, will take you about uh, 10,000 years to uh, calculate. Obviously, we found a way to do it in uh, real time, almost real time. Uh, and then what's beautiful, you're beautiful about it, any additional input, just additional piece of data. For example, you're absolutely right. We present issues to customers, but then we ask for the feedback. We tell them, look, please mark all those activities. Is it really yeah. money? Yeah. Is it human trafficking? What's that, what's, that in, what's that interface, Mark, just so I know? Because I'm, I'm familiar with, you know, again, broadly speaking, what you're talking about is sort of anomaly detection is one thing, but also finding these sort of meta patterns, these absolutely micro connections between what smells like fraud and then being able to kind of scale that. This is kind of the intuition idea that you have here. You know, certainly a part of the future of payment fraud, of, of cybersecurity across the board. I mean, it's going to be hard to get around the fact that this is this is the future. But in terms of how that system is fed, you know, it sounds like you're talking about the historical data of all these past payments. And, and, and then, of course, ongoing, people are going to be sort of feeding into the system saying, hey, you flagged all these things and none of them were fraud. And, and maybe here's why. Or, hey, you found these things that were fraud. And that was great. Thanks so much. Is that done in an interface with, you know, a, I imagine in my mind, you know, a red checkbox or a green checkbox or what is the feedback process? Do they talk to you, the vendor? You know, what's what's the interface to keep the system smart and build that intuition to be correct? Yeah, that's beautiful. Great question. Actually, we do use colors. Red and green. <laughs> good, good. Purple, <laughs> oh, nice, imagine, nice guess and, I had there. Yeah, and I wish I could show it to you, but it's beautiful user interface, very intuitive. You know, once we need... To create what we call intuitive AI, we also need to create an intuitive user interface. That, that's that's almost a harder code. challenge there, I tell you what. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Many companies fail just because Big they time. don't. Uh, so what we've done, imagine a screen. On the screen, you see, you see bubbles. And the size of the bubble will be the size of the events that are very similar. So we not only find those events, we also group them, cluster them. So let's say you have a big bubble, and all the bubbles when we start are gray. So the system presents you a bubble. It shows the severity. You see a severe bubble, and the bubble has 10,000 transactions within 10,000 entities. Probably would like to push the button or to hover your mouse over this uh, bubble. And then you see those transactions. It's also show you what are the parameters that create that the relationship between them. Yeah, okay, uh, what they have in common. What they have in common. Exactly, exactly. Okay, yeah. system does it automatically. And if we'll have time, I will sort of give you an example how it's done. And then we tell the customer, look, it is a suspicious activity. Now, please tell us, is it fraud? Is it money laundering? In some banks, uh, money laundering should be terrorist funding, which is a different story, yeah, different yeah, yeah, path, yeah. et cetera. And then the customer tells us, look, this is fraud. This is money laundering. This is not interesting. Let me give you an example. We found uh, our system transaction, a set of transactions that was very suspicious. You know, first uh, day, it was $1 transfer between accounts. Second, dollar, second day, $2. Third day, $3. Then it goes to $7. Then it goes back to $1, $2, etc. Now, it can be a pattern of money laundering that was built um, to sort of fool uh, rules-based detection systems. In this case, we, of course, marked it, and customers found it was an unfortunate event where a husband 
had to pay uh, some settlement fees to his ex-wife and he yeah. just wanted to make her crazy. So, of course, customers will say it's not interesting. And then what the system will do, they will use this input or the algorithms will use this input uh, that customers give us as an, another data set. And basically, after literally a week or two, our system will propose a color. So gray will be unrecognized. Green will be transaction that is suspicious, but that it's not one of the uh, sort of compliance-related transactions. And then red will be terrorist funding, and purple will be human trafficking, and uh, uh, if I recall, uh, uh, blue will be fraud, which is painful, but doesn't have any compliance-related uh, implications. Got it, got it. So I imagine there's some kind of, and it's just, it just important for folks listening in to be realistic. And obviously, as a CEO, you know, you've got to paint the picture as, you know, as easy and push button as you can. But as, as the guy, you know, educating the audience, I've got to kind of get under the hood here at, at sort of what this looks like. But clearly, you know, the, the general trend of what you're articulating, I don't think any anybody can think, Mark, that these old systems are going to survive. I think that what you're talking about, about this advanced building set of intuition that's really extracted from very smart human brains clearly is the future here in terms of what the interaction looks like you talked about the interface making that user friendly again massively challenging you know you guys have the funds and the runway to to sort of work away on that and i think a lot of other folks don't so that's good news for you guys when when it comes to working with a client is it also about kind of training them about hey look when you're in our system, here's what it's going to look like to provide this kind of feedback, this kind of feedback to, to tell us it didn't work, you know, this was not, you know, this was a false positive or this was a false negative or to say it was good or whatever. So that a certain set, let's, let's imagine how many, however many anti-fraud folks we have working in the back end of you name what bank, we've got to train a certain cohort of them to do this proper sort of labeling as they work, if you will. This is the way I would imagine it. We probably can't train everybody, but we train a certain number of them. Hey, look, here's what you need to do as you're going about your work to keep the system smart. Is is that part of the training here? Or do you do it in stints? Like you come in every month and you collect a bunch of ideas? I mean, how does, how does that work? Okay, so we really wanted to do it as easy as possible for uh, customers. And you're absolutely right. There are no free lunches. It's not like you take the system off the shelf, you throw it, and it starts working. But we do eliminate one very, very painful uh, process, and we sort of uh, totally remove it, which is creating the rules. So yep, no yep, yep. use optimized Mantas, Norcom, um, IBM, etc. You need to write those rules. It takes on average four months to create a new model rule. It takes four seconds for bad guys to circumvent this rule. So we yeah, totally yeah, eliminate yeah, yeah. it. But we yeah. do have to work with our customers to create definitions. Because usually when you come to a bank, there is an unfortunate situation where the database doesn't look uh, meaningful. You have sometimes the fields are not first name and last name, but something like uh, field number one, field number two. So we need to work with them to make sure that the output that we present to them is meaningful. Yep. And it's extremely yep. important because in many cases we find things that are counterintuitive for young guys or for the people who are not very experienced. Yeah, like, what's uh, an example of that? Yeah, something counterintuitive. This is a really interesting view, Mark. What do you mean? Yeah, so let me give you an example. And, of course, you know, I'm sort of changing a bit because we're very careful about our customer and privacy. Oh, for sure, for sure. Uh, it was in the newspapers. So we found uh, for one of the customers' network of thousands, tens of thousands of people, actually, that were financing ISIS. And, you know, it was a really thoughtful process. They were, they were getting messages using uh, Telegram. Uh, and the messages were, please transfer $10, 11 euros, 13 uh, Swiss francs. We think there was some algorithm behind it because they knew that the way banks look for this type of transactions is using moving average. So they actually pushed the transactions every time a little bit higher 
So, you know, they could they push the mover and average higher and, and launder more money. And it was hidden mm. in the plain side and nobody could see it. And when our system discovered it, it's actually discovered it's a relationship between many parameters. And uh, I will give you a few of them. So one parameter was all the customers were new customers, less than one year. But this bank has over 100 million customers. So obviously, like 10% will be a new customers. You cannot uh, investigate 10 million people. No way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, all the customers were using more than one currency, naturally. But this is a global bank, so probably 30% of the customers using more than one currency. Number of counterparties for each account was very small. You know, in reality, we as human beings have a lot of counterparties. We buy pizza, we buy Amazon, we go to grocery shops, we use our car, etc. In this case, it was like only one counterparty, which is very common to, to mule accounts, but it's also very common to a situation that you have your saving account that usually has only one counterparty, which is your checking account. Uh, so not very uh, useful information. And of course, there were a few more. Uh, for example, Industry Misalliance, uh, which is a business definition, the KYC definition. And there was a Mr. Industry Misalliance. But again, Industry Misalliance, if you have an oil company and suddenly you uh, sell uh, shoes or buy shoes, I would say it's Industry Misalignment, but oil companies do buy shoes from time to time. So you cannot, again, act on that. But the combination of all those parameters was very unique. Nobody taught the system how to identify it. And the system created it automatically. Of course, we had to work with the customer to make sure that when it happens in the future, they have a description so it will be much easier for the uh, research guys. And I want to wrap up on one last question here, Mark, because again, I think this this paradigm that, that you're articulating is is one that you know is clearly proliferating across so many elements of the risk related world. It's pretty, you know, we can use financial services as the 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 core example, but it extends out elsewise. I mean, fraud, anti money laundering, cybersecurity. There's so many areas where we just can't rely on rules, and we need a system that can grow and get smarter. But as you know, Mark, and and you've done some of the hard work of actually getting this integrated within you know some of these these big banks. You know, the adoption from these old systems to the new is is you know it has its hurdles. When you think about the main thing that banks need to kind of overcome to embrace this new approach to be able to find a more open, agile, a kind of learning approach to detecting money laundering and, and staying more compliant. What, what really has to be overcome to get there? Yeah, so it's definitely, definitely um, a challenge. It's, I would say the main challenge we face. I think that now uh, with the COVID-19 situation, it will uh, change. First is understanding that the world has changed and everything is online. Obviously, yeah. today, when people have to work from home and customers have to uh, access banks online, this is the first understanding. Second is uh, understanding that they need to deploy those technologies. It's not enough to have great data scientists within the bank and to create of, uh, a, lot of, a lot of really smart models and rules. And it's something that many banks have difficulty to sort of get. You know, people work 20 years in the bank and they say, look, we can do it. We can build enough rules and models and uh, nobody will be able to circumvent it. No. Every, we've never we've never been in a situation where we installed our system and couldn't find something that existing systems missed. Uh, but you know, not invented here is still something that happens in some of the banks, and uh, there is a fear uh, of uh, innovation, etc. By the way, again, because of COVID nineteen situation, I guess uh, banks will try to sort of optimize their costs, and they will be more welcoming uh, external systems, and that's something that really pushes system. Um, uh, into the banks. And the third one will happen naturally, where people will be sort of more accepting new technologies, understanding that it needs to be done, seeing the ever-growing uh, um, price of 
fraud and uh, AML uh, actions against the banks, uh, but they will also start looking at something that they didn't do before the COVID-19 situation, which is costs. You know, mm. at the end of the day, systems also save a lot of costs. The ROI is pretty, pretty significant. Yep. Like, you know, maybe one last thing in our case, we reduce the level of false alarm as, uh, by sometimes 30 to 90%, but we also found that the, level, that the time to investigate an event, in our case, is 50% less than the time that it took existing systems to do it. Yep. And so there's big, big hurdles and challenges to integrating these systems to get the culture up to speed, to get people trained on new software. And that stuff definitely has a cost. But to your point, the upside is there. And I think the cool thing about your world, Mark, in terms of anti-money laundering is that we can measure it. We can look at false positive numbers and we can look at false negative numbers and we can get a sense of our fraud losses in different time periods. And this is not one of those nefarious, you know, floating, who knows if it does anything AI applications. This stuff is measurable. So hopefully that's going to uh, be a plus for adoption in the future, certainly after this wild crisis here. Absolutely. Totally yep. agree with you. Yep. So I know that's all we have for time on this topic, Mark, but I'm glad to be able to have you back here. Thanks for being able to join us on AI and financial services. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great to be back. Thank you for having me. So that's all for this use case episode here on Tuesday on the AI and Business Podcast. Be sure to stay tuned for Thursday as we're going to be getting into our Making the Business Case episode. And we're going to talk about what enterprise AI readiness actually looks like uh, within a very large chemicals company. So we're speaking to company leadership, not a vendor. We're talking to someone at a very large public company about what enterprise readiness looks like from a deployment perspective. So be sure to stay tuned in two days. If you're not already following us on social, I've mentioned it recently, we have a lot more followers on Twitter and LinkedIn now for our Emerge uh, profiles, which has been really cool to see the engagement from some of you podcast listeners making it over to social. You can find us at, at Emerge, just at sign E-M-E-R-J on Twitter or Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research on Facebook or on LinkedIn. Be sure to stay up to speed with all of our latest podcasts, all of our latest infographics, all of our articles, and generally stay ahead of the curve when it comes to the ROI of AI by following us on social. So anywho, that's all for this one. Look forward to catching you for Thursday here on the AI and Business Podcast. 